morning. Good to see you all this morning. And I'm sure if you're like me, you read that passage and you wonder, what is the deal with the pigs? <laughs> and I promise you I'll say something about it later on. Um, but I consulted several commentaries and I don't think anyone fully understands what all is going on with Jesus and the pigs in this passage, but I'll give you a few thoughts anyway, in case you're curious. Um, but before we get into the message this morning, um, I want to take a few minutes to pray. Um, I know a lot of people are going through health issues, and if you got, um, got the email this last week uh, about Jonathan Peasley, uh, I know not all of you know who he is, but... His dad was a youth pastor, I think, back in the day at Community Church of God on Bowman Avenue. His, um, Jonathan's daughter, I'm not sure how old she is, but she was diagnosed with some really rare cancer in her brain or brainstem, um, and the odds are not good. So I want to make sure to, to pray for her this morning. If you know Jonathan, um, reach out to him, send him an email or text if you've got his number. Um, they live, he serves with Athletes in Action in Ohio, um, but we want to make sure to pray for him, and um, I'll let him know that we prayed for him this morning as well to, to encourage him. Uh, but other people are having health issues as well, and just a lot of things going on uh, this weekend. It's not all bad, right? Pretty soon you'll be able to buy a Royal Donut at Mad Goat and get Mad Goat coffee <laughs> at Royal Donut. In a few months, exciting news for us here in Danville. Um, it's Memorial Day weekend, so we want to remember those who've given their lives in service to our country as well this weekend. And Serve Together is coming up, which will be a site for that at the Hope Center, so uh, we'd be glad to have you helping with us at Serve Together. And you actually don't need to sign up to come out to the Hope Center. If you just want to show up, we'd be glad to have your help that weekend to paint, clean, do some other stuff out there. But yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Um, pastoral candidate next weekend, which we need to pray for. So before I get into our, our message, I just want to take a few minutes and uh, go before the Lord in prayer with everything going on. God, we are thankful that you are present and nothing escapes your notice in the good, the joyous, the bad, the dark, the terrible times, you are present in the midst of all of those and we thank you for that. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control and you are good. God, we just come before you on behalf of the Peasleys this morning and intercede on behalf of their daughter Sarah and pray for a miracle. We pray that you would heal her, that you would raise her up. Um, pray that you guide the doctors as well, and that you'd show yourself to them and through them. Please be with the Peasleys and give them peace, Lord, in the midst of a really traumatizing time. Give them your peace that surpasses understanding. Let them walk by faith, not by sight. Please bless them, Lord, and provide for all of their needs. and. I pray that you would show yourself in a powerful and miraculous way to them. God, we pray for others that we know who are going through health issues and really trying times, and just pray that you would give them the faith they need to get through 
help them to persevere. I pray that you would be present in the midst of their, their pain, in the midst of their um, uh, health diagnoses. Please minister to them, Lord. Bring them healing and raise them up. I pray that you would show them your goodness, even in the midst of the, the hard time that they're going through. We pray for our pastoral candidate and um, him being with us next weekend. I pray that you'd give us all discernment. I pray that you take away any anxiety that Jordan and his family may have. Please give them peace. Give us wisdom here from our end, and I pray that your spirit would be working in us and working in the chapels, and uh, just pray that we would hear from you collectively on what is best for connection for them and their future as well, and I pray that you'd make that clear to all of us, Lord, what we should do. Please help us to focus this morning in on your words that you have for us. Please speak through me, Lord. I pray that we would have ears to hear what it is that you have for us through this text. And I pray that you would uh, give us hearts to obey and respond to what it is that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the midst of a series called Who is Jesus? Looking at different passages uh, from the Gospels about different miracles that Jesus performed. And if you were here two weeks ago, this text this morning continues where we, where we left off uh, two weeks ago from Mark 4 continuing on into to Mark 5. But before we get there, um, I was reminded of someone I knew when I was a kid. And this guy passed away before I became an adult, and so I didn't really have an adult understanding of what was going on. But in the community I grew up in, this guy was called Crazy Dave. And my mom tried to tell us uh, that he had schizophrenia, and I don't think I fully understood what that, what that meant, but a lot of kids made fun of this guy. They were really mean to him. He was... Um, had a really long beard, he didn't always take care of himself and dress himself the best, and often lived in another reality and would talk about events that were not occurring and thought things were happening around him that really weren't there. And he drove around, he lived about a mile out of town, and he always drove a tractor around. An old, small farm tractor was his mode of transportation. But the kids I knew, they all called him, and probably adults, I don't know, but he was called... Crazy Dave, unfortunately. And maybe you've had some encounters with someone like that in your life. Maybe someone who went around mumbling to themselves, living in another reality. Or maybe they were just kind of eccentric or did things out of the ordinary. Well, in our passage today, Jesus has an encounter with someone like that. Someone that a lot of people would probably call crazy or insane, at least those who were around this guy, that's probably the label. If they had that kind of label back then, that would be the label that they would give him. So if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is in Jewish territory. He's got a large crowd around him. And at the end of the day, he's tired. He and his disciples leave in the boat to go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee into Gentile territory. And he leaves the crowd, they cross overnight, and they get there, and the welcome party to meet him is one single guy, this guy that would be, we would probably call crazy. 
someone who is out of his mind and is full of evil spirits. And here are some of the things we learn about this guy who's the welcome party to meet Jesus when he gets uh, to the other shore. He lives among the tombs, which is a, a graveyard, which indicates that he's cut off from his community and ostracized from those around him because he's living in the tombs and no one, no one would live out in the tombs unless they were, there was something wrong with them or they were rejected by their community in some way. The guy was super strong, right? People were trying to chain him. They were trying to uh, put shackles on his wrists, on his feet, and the guy broke free out of all the chains that they put on him when they were trying to bind him up and control him. We're told that he cuts himself, he would cry out day and night, and he was naked, or nearly naked anyway. To all appearances, to those who knew him, he was crazy and had this terrifying appearance if one would meet him. And so Jesus meets this guy. The first person who meets him when he comes ashore, he heals him, he delivers him, brings him freedom, peace, relief from the torment and destruction that he had been experiencing, and puts him into his right, right state of mind that we find out later in the passage. So looking at this story about Jesus' encounter with this man, there's a lot of things, a lot of things that we could learn. Um, you could have a full-blown demonology from this passage, I think, which I'm not going to do. We'll talk about it a little bit. But going along with our series, Who is Jesus? I want to ask the question, what does this story teach us about Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the first thing I notice that this teaches us about Jesus is that Jesus is mission-driven. And I talked about this a little bit two weeks ago with the passage just before this in Mark 4. But Jesus knew who he was. He knew what his mission was. He was the Jewish Messiah who came to bring salvation to his people. But he also knew that he was the Savior of the world. Which is why Jesus leaves a huge crowd that's mostly Jews and leaves to go to Gentile territory for the sake of one man. Because right after this, he goes back to Jewish territory. He's there to have this interaction with one guy, and then he goes. And the only reason Jesus does this is because he knows what his mission is, that he knows that he is the Jewish Messiah, but he came not just for the Jewish people, but Jesus came on behalf of the world to bring salvation to all. And we get a glimpse of what that looks like with what he is doing here. His mission leads him to go across the Sea of Galilee for this man. And then, because of his mission, he sends a guy back to his own community. He doesn't let the guy go with him, but he sends him back to tell other people about what Jesus has done for him and how God has had mercy upon him, which is interesting because the guy wanted to go with Jesus, and it's like, oh, this is good. The guy wants to join the nation of Israel, so to speak. He wants to go back with Jesus to Jewish territory, but Jesus sends him, sends him away that you don't need to join the nation of Israel to become a follower of Jesus. He could become a Christian right where he was and go back to his own community, which there's a lot of points there for missiology, which we're not going to get into either this morning. But there's a lot of... Every time I study Scripture, there's so much... There's so much good there, especially about Jesus. There's so many amazing things, and we just don't have time to get into every single word and every single thing that is in there. But Jesus is mission-driven. His mission is what leads him to go 
to this man. And so thinking about what Jesus' mission was, he was not a Jewish nationalist. Jesus could have been, right? He could have been a Jewish nationalist, but this story and other stories teach us that he was not. Because God has always cared about all people, not wanting any, any to perish, but all to come to repentance, as Peter says in 2 Peter. And it's because all pe- people are created in God's image. God cares about all people groups, too. No matter how depraved a people group may seem or their practices may seem, he cares about all people groups. As followers of Jesus, there's no place for nationalism. And that doesn't mean that we hate our country or that we hate our ethnicity. It just means that everything else takes a back seat to the fact that our identity is found in Jesus and having a relationship with him. So any kind of ethnic pride or nationalism, it needs to be nailed to the cross so that we can follow Jesus and engage in his mission in the world because God is a global God and cares about all people. Even people like Vladimir Putin, we should pray for in the hopes that God would bring him to repentance. Or anyone else or any other people group you may think of that is depraved or hopeless, we should pray for them because they are still created in God's image and capable of being redeemed through Jesus. Look at the story today and the guy that Jesus meets. If there's anyone who looks like they are beyond hope, or beyond redemption, as probably this guy who was forced to live in the tombs, demon-possessed, neglected by his neighbors, a complete outcast. So much so that they were trying to chain the guy up, even, I don't know if it's for his protection or for theirs, or for both, but it didn't work. They couldn't chain him up. And I'm guessing... If you're like me, you can probably think of people, maybe not in the same situation as him, but probably there's some people in your life, maybe they're family members, a co-worker, someone else you know, that you think in your mind that they are beyond hope. They're beyond redemption. Maybe it just looks like they don't care at all about God or about spiritual things. Maybe they're mean, selfish, self-centered. Whatever the reason might be, that person in your mind is hopeless, and it looks like there's no way that things will ever change or that they would ever come to believe in Jesus. Hopefully you can think of someone like that in your life. Maybe say a silent prayer for them right now. I want to tell you, based on our story today, if there's someone like that, they are not beyond hope. They are not beyond Redemption and Jesus cares about that person or persons that you know. And this story shows us that. Jesus was on a mission for this guy who looked like he was beyond hope, beyond redemption, and he went out of his way, right? He crossed the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night to go to this guy and then go back across the Sea of Galilee. He went completely out of his way to meet up with his demon-possessed guy someone that everyone else had seemingly given up on, but Jesus had not given up on him, and he went to bring hope to the hopeless. And Jesus is still on that same mission today, to bring hope to the hopeless. 
to go to those who are outcasts, the quote-unquote crazy, even the demon-possessed. And the question for us is, will we join Jesus in his mission in the world? Are we willing to go out of our way like Jesus did to demonstrate kindness, love, to bring good news to those who are seemingly hopeless? Maybe they're not enslaved by demons, but there sure are a lot of people enslaved by sin, and they need freedom, hope, deliverance, and they're not going to get it from the world. True hope, true freedom only comes through Jesus, and there are millions, maybe billions of people, we might say, who are finding their identity in anything and everything other than in a relationship with God and finding their identity as a child of God. And we have the answer to what people are seeking for. But we've got to join Jesus in his mission. We've got to have the courage to go out of our way, to speak up, to have awkward conversations, to talk to people normally we wouldn't talk to, to go outside of our comfort zone even for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of the gospel. And as I thought about this story, I don't think Jesus was ever outside of his comfort zone. It was not outside of his comfort zone to go and interact with this demon-possessed man. But I bet it was outside the comfort zone of the disciples that they left Jewish territory to go into Gentile territory, and then they meet this ostracized, quote-unquote, crazy guy. They went to what would be an unclean area for them. And if they were in the tombs or near the tombs or by this guy, this would bring them into another unclean place. And that probably caused them a bit of discomfort. But Jesus, Jesus was fine. Jesus didn't seem to care about any of that. And for us, Are we willing to go outside of our comfort zones? Are we willing to go to quote-unquote unclean places for the sake of Jesus, for the the sake of the gospel? It could be introducing ourselves to someone new. It could be talking to our neighbors. It could be serving at a nonprofit. It could be being a foster parent or helping a foster parent out. Maybe even that God asks us to go to those who are terrorized by demons so that they can be um, released from that and experience the freedom that God has for them. Because I still think there are people like this guy today. The demonic realm still exists, and there are people, probably even in our own community, who are terrorized or possessed by demons. Getting outside our comfort zones is going to look different for all of us, right? But I think God often calls us into the discomfort to stretch us, to grow us, to teach us to live by faith and dependency on him. And I don't want us to miss God's call to go into the discomfort by dismissing it with excuses such as, I could never do that. God wouldn't ask me to do that, would he? I'm not equipped or trained. I ask you, come to the Hope Center sometime and look at the staff and volunteers and examine our backgrounds. We're not the most likely people for doing what we do, and we're a group of misfits in a lot of ways. But you know what? God is using us. We may not always know what we're doing. We may not always have the answers to some of the challenges we face, but we try to walk by faith and be obedient with whom God brings across our path. It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable, but God calls us out of the comfortable to grow us and to use us for his purposes. 
And when I was doing a bit of study, I came across um, this story from one of the commentators. His name is Craig Keener, and uh, he was writing on Matthew's account of this passage. And I thought this was a great story about how God could use us going outside of our comfort zones and just being obedient and faithful to God to do something amazing in someone's life. He says, we cannot, however, assume, talking about this story, we cannot assume in advance who will respond to our testimony. Most of us would have guessed that of all the Gadarenes, the ones least likely to respond to Jesus would be the demoniacs. As an atheist, and he's talking about himself, that before um, he became a world-renowned biblical scholar and Bible teacher, he was an atheist. He says, as an atheist, I argued vehemently against the gospel the first day I heard it. And the people who witnessed to me did not learn until a year later that I had become a Christian later that day and led 10 people to Christ in the intervening year. We are responsible to sow seed everywhere and leave the harvest with God. I'm sure the Christians who are witnessing to him as an atheist, as he says he vehemently argued against the gospel, they probably thought, this guy is hopeless. <laughs> there's, no, there's no hope for him. He's an entrenched atheist. And yet he says later that day he became a Christian and then led 10 people to Christ in the next year. And he's written all sorts of commentaries on the Bible and influenced thousands, possibly millions of people through his biblical teaching and biblical scholarship. All because... Some Christians went outside their comfort zone and were willing to share the good news of Jesus with an entrenched atheist. We're responsible to sow the seed everywhere and leave the harvest with God. And God can use the most unlikely people to become Christians and transform the world if we are obedient and are willing to join Jesus in his mission. Our job is just to sow the seed and trust God with the results. So let's not dismiss anyone because we might think in our minds that they're beyond hope or beyond redemption. And the last thing, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, about Jesus being mission-driven. The end of this passage with uh, the end of the story shows that Jesus still had his mission mindset. So at the end of this story, the man had his life completely transformed by Jesus. And as we can imagine, he wants to go with Jesus. It's like, this guy changed my life. He brought me peace and deliverance. I want more of him. I want to go with him. And Jesus tells him no, which I don't know if you know it or not, but Jesus doesn't always tell us yes. And he told this guy no, which is maybe a little bit surprising that Jesus didn't allow him to come with him, but he tells him no. In verse 19, he says, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus sends him back to his own people to tell him his testimony, what God has done for him, how God has had mercy upon him, and the guy obeys. He obeys Jesus, and in verse 20, it says, The man went away and began to tell him the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Jesus sent him back to tell his story, and everyone was amazed. And I don't know how many believed, but they at least heard the testimony about Jesus and gained some new insight and revelation into God and who Jesus was. And just as this man was sent back to his people, Jesus is sending us out today to tell others what God has done for us and how God has mercy upon us. Maybe our story isn't as dramatic as this guy. 
I don't know if any of you were possessed by demons. I know I wasn't, but I've got a story, you've got a story to share as well, that God has done something for us and has had mercy upon us, even something that he has done for us within the last week, I think we could share and tell others about, about that. And we should always have something ready to share about what God has done for us. And God has called us to be mission-driven people. Just like Jesus was driven by his mission, we need to be driven by that same mission as well, to tell the good news of Jesus to those we encounter, to bring hope to the hopeless, freedom to those who are enslaved, the love of God to those who don't experience love. And who knows what God is going to do through us as we obey him. Second thing in answer to the question from this passage about who is Jesus. One is that Jesus is mission-driven. Two, and this is probably the more obvious one, is Jesus has power over evil. This man has many demons inside of him, so many so that he calls himself legion. Now, Roman legion at that time was about five or 6,000 soldiers, and that doesn't mean that that's exactly how many demons a guy had, but it was a lot, right? Because... <laughs> Jesus allows the demons to go into the pigs, and it says that 2,000 pigs run down into the Sea of Galilee. So the guy's got a lot of demons inside of him. He's terrorized. He's possessed. But Jesus, as one man, confronts the man with all these demons, and there's no question who's got the greater power and authority. And Jesus is in charge from the get-go. So look at what the demons had done to this man. He was out of his right mind. He didn't think clearly. He didn't act rationally. The demons had overwhelmed his mind, his body, his will. He was tormented. He was cutting himself, crying out. He was isolated, driven away from others, either by his actions or by the actions of others. His relationships with others were destroyed. His vocation was destroyed. His reputation was destroyed. The demonic activity had dehumanized him and destroyed him to the place that he was in a place of death amongst the tombs rather than in a place of life. These demons were very powerful. The Bible never tells us how he ended up in this condition, but it's awful what he's in, and it's terrifying. And then the demons go into the pigs, and we can see, again, the power of these evil spirits. The evil spirits had overwhelmed the pigs as well, their bodies, their minds, their wills, and it drove them crazy, so much so that they ran into the Sea of Galilee and they drowned. And I didn't know this, but pigs can swim. And there's apparently a place called Pig Island in the Bahamas, which you can go watch some videos on that if you want. But pigs can swim. But these pigs didn't. They drowned. And I think it's because the demons had so um, terrorized their minds that they were panicked and they didn't have control of themselves. So that when they got into the water... They drown. Now, I don't know that for sure, but that's my take on what's going on, is that they were so crazed by the demons that they, they went into a panic and drowned in the water instead of swimming. But whatever it is, it was destructive. The evil spirits were destructive, and the pigs did something completely unnatural, just like this man was being unnatural as well. So these evil spirits are extremely, extremely powerful, as evidenced by the man's story, as well as by the pigs. And he'll just give you a few thoughts on the pigs at this point. One, it shows that we are in Gentile territory because Jews won't have pigs. 
pigs were unclean animals, they weren't allowed to eat them, so they wouldn't have had them around. So the fact that there's a whole bunch of pigs there shows that we're not in Jewish land anymore, and it's Gentile territory. Two, looking at this story, the people are more concerned about the pigs than about the guy. They want Jesus to leave because of what, what had happened. And they're more concerned about making money, their livelihood, than about Jesus restoring this man. So the story teaches that they're worldly people, and it seems like they care more about the economy or about um, themselves than about a human life. And human life is more important than the economy, more important than, human, or than animal life, because humans alone are created in the image of God. This also may be a sign of the ultimate judgment that Jesus is going to judge evil. He's going to judge demons. So this would be like a foreshadowing sign of the judgment to come upon them. And the pigs were nearby. Demons asked to go into them. And Jesus, for whatever reason, consented to their request. And it demonstrates that Jesus has power over these evil spirits. He's the only one who could allow them to go into them. And then what happens with the pigs? And there may be more. You can do some research on your own if you want. I, don't, <laughs> I still don't know for sure what all is going on with this story. But that's a little bit of it anyway. But whatever is going on, these demons are incredibly powerful. There's thousands of them. There's one Jesus. And one Jesus versus thousands of evil spirits, Jesus wins. And if we look at the dialogue between this guy before Jesus um, heals him, delivers him from this, it talks about the evil spirits begging Jesus, which indicates that they knew that Jesus had more power and authority. They are begging Jesus um, to send them out, not to send them out of the area, begging Jesus to allow them to go into the pigs, begging for for permission. So even the evil spirits recognize Jesus' power and authority over them. And this may bring to mind the beginning of Job, where there's a dialogue between God and Satan. And Satan can't do anything beyond the permission of God. Just like in this passage, evil spirits can't do anything beyond the permission that Jesus allows them to have. I think this is important for us to remember that Jesus does have power over evil. Because sometimes in life, it can look like evil runs unchecked. It looks like evil people prosper and do whatever they want. Sometimes it seems like, as followers of Jesus, that nothing goes our way and everything is against us. But it's important for us to remember that evil is not sovereign. The devil is not sovereign, and God is sovereign and in control, and God is good. Evil may have much freedom right now. But if you read through the scripture, in the end, God wins. One day the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire along with all evil spirits and those who are unrepentant. So it's important for us to remember this truth, to trust in it and rest in that reality. Everything, even when everything looks dark and hopeless, may we be the people that walk by faith, not by sight. And a good passage to remember is 1 John 4.4. 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. It's a good passage to remember. The one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. I would memorize that because you may need that 
someday. The one who is in us, if we follow Jesus, is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world, who is the devil or Satan. But you and I are not Jesus. We can't defeat evil or evil spirits in our own strength and power, and it's sheer arrogance to think that we can do so. We need to remember the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. That it's only through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, through God's power that we can overcome evil, that we can overcome evil spirits. And it's important for us to memorize and to learn the Word of God. Verses like 1 John 4.4. Because there's power in God's Word to defeat evil, to defeat the lies. If you recall Matthew 4 and Luke 4 when Jesus goes head-to-head with Satan... Three times he's tempted, three times Jesus responds with the word of God, that the word of God is what allows Jesus to overcome the devil and to defeat him. And that is the same in this passage as well. It's Jesus' word, which is the word of God, has the power to free this man and to bring deliverance to him because the demons have to do what Jesus says. There's no argument. There's no debate. Jesus' word has the final say, the final authority. And if we're going to defeat evil experience true freedom in our lives, and bring the life-giving freedom of God to others, we need to know, live by, and use the word of God. Because the lies of the devil are all around us. There are traps and snares ready to grab hold of our lives, to deceive us. How can we navigate life and not becoming enslaved or deceived? Well, we need to read God's word, his truth, meditate on it, and live by it. There's lots of ideas out there, right? How do we know what's true, what's a lie? A lot of times there are lies that really sound good and seem to make a lot of sense. Well, if we don't go back to the word of our creator to know what he says, we'll never know. We'll never discern truth from lies. So we need to talk to him and know what he has to say. And one lie in particular I just want to mention briefly. You've probably heard this expression, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. It's a lie that the devil often uses, and he even used it in the garden with Adam and Eve when he was trying to tempt them to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 3, 5, he says, God knows that when you eat of it, talking about the fruit and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's trying to present to Adam and Eve there's something better than what you currently have. If you just eat fruit from this tree, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. There's a greener pasture that comes by eating this fruit. And you know the devil's been using this lie ever since. If you just read Genesis 3, you can learn a lot about Satan's tactics because they're the same. The same thing he did with Adam and Eve is the same thing he does with you and me. But he tries to get us to jump out of God's pasture, so to speak, into a greener pasture that's on the other side of the fence. But it's a lie. It's a deception. It's smoke and mirrors that he's put up. And when we jump the fence, we find that we're not in a greener pasture, but we're in a desert. We find that we're in a broken, desolate, hopeless place. And then he does the same thing, right? The grass is green on the other side, so he gets us jumping fences all the time to try to find the greener pasture, which we never find. All we find is a desert. And this is one of the tactics of the enemy, one of the lies that he speaks to us. To, speaks to us. Instead of finding contentment 
in God's pasture, the source of living water, a green pasture that satisfies our soul and provides for all of our needs, he puts up this deceit, this lie, to get us jumping fences, always looking for the green pasture that's on the other side that we'll never, ever find. But if we want true freedom, true contentment, satisfaction, peace in life, it comes by just living by faith, trusting in God and in his word. So that's one, one lie, one of many, that he uses. And God's word, God's truth is how we can combat that reminding what God has told us. So going back to the story of this guy, like I said earlier, we don't know how he ended up in that condition, but the Bible does tell us that when he came to Jesus, Jesus cleaned him up, delivered him, put him in his right mind, and gave him peace. And another lie I've heard a lot of people say is, I need to get my life together, I need to get my life cleaned up before I can come to God. Well, that's not true. This guy just came to Jesus as he was, possessed by demons, in a mess, and God completely transformed him through his encounter with Jesus. And the good news is that we can just come to Jesus as we are, in our brokenness, our shame, our evil, our sin, just as this man was, and Jesus will clean us up, put us in our right minds, give us freedom. And we need to tell others this as well, which is why we need to be mission-driven and take the good news to those around us, because God is the one who will clean us up. We need to be cautious, though. We don't force ourselves upon anyone. Jesus didn't. This man came to Jesus. We can't fix anyone or force anyone to make changes in their life. I know people that are enslaved and trapped by sin and addictions, I have to constantly remind myself, this is not my job. God is the one who can change them. It's up to them to be willing to come to him. In this story, the people asked Jesus to leave, and he left. He didn't just stick around and keep preaching in their towns and their villages. He sent the guy back to do that, basically. But they said, get out of here, Jesus. And Jesus got back in the boat and left and went back across the Sea of Galilee to where he was back in back in Jewish territory. Jesus never forces himself upon anyone. If people don't want him, he's like, fine, you can go on on your way. I'll be ready for you when you're ready to come to me. But he never forces anyone to believe. He never forces anyone to come to him. But when people are ready, he's always there, ready to receive those who are ready for it. And this man was, apparently. He, he came to Jesus, and Jesus fixed him up, saved him, delivered him. And the other people, they're actually terrified. <laughs> they're scared of Jesus and what he had done and probably really upset about the pigs. And they, they ask him out of there, and he does. Uh, last thing I'll say about the demon stuff. Are there people today who are demon-possessed? If we met this man today, a lot of people would probably give him some psychological term to describe his condition. Maybe we'd give him medication. Back in the day, they'd lock him up in a mental institution. Maybe in certain parts of the world, that would be the case. Did the Bible just not have a modern understanding of mental illness and describe um, a mental illness with evil spirits and demon possession, which is um, an idea that's out there? 
My opinion is no. I think the Bible teaches that there is a spiritual realm. There are angels and demons. There are evil spirits who can attack, torment, and even possess people. So the case, or the question is, how do we identify when this is the case? Are there cases where someone has been diagnosed with a mental illness, but they really have a spiritual problem, even demonic possession? I think that's true. And I do want to say that I'm not saying any of this to make light of mental illness because I do think mental illness is real and I think people do have physical imbalances and malfunctions within their body and other things that cause mental illness. And God bless those who are mental health professionals and God bless the advances in medicine to help people who need that kind of help. But there are cases where people have demonic activity, demonic possession. How do we discern that? so people can have true healing and freedom. I think the only way we can discern that is through the Word of God, through prayer, and through being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When we discern that there may be demonic activity, the first thing I think we need to do is pray. Pray and call on the name of the Lord, because like I said, we can't drive out evil. Only Jesus and God's power can drive out evil, drive out evil spirits. Ask for God's help, his guidance, and pray uh, that Jesus would bring deliverance and healing. I heard someone tell me sometime that if you're talking to someone in this condition, tell the demons to go to Jesus and do what he tells you to do, which I think is good advice because we're not going to be able to do it or solve the problem ourselves. If we're dealing with the demonic, we need to tell them to go to Jesus and ask for Jesus' help and his power. And if you look at Jesus and his interaction with those who are demon-possessed or terrorized in the Bible, it's simple and direct. There's no prolonged struggle. There's no incantations. There's no holy water. There's none of some of the stuff we might see in um, movies or other things that are out there. It's simple. It's direct. It's powerful. And the demons have to leave in Jesus' name. Jesus tells them to go, and they go, and people are set free. I think that's true for us today if we deal with those who are demonic. We just call on Jesus' name, pray for deliverance in Jesus' name, and be direct about it. And Jesus is the one who has the power to deliver people and to set them free. So who is Jesus? Jesus has power over nature, which we talked about. Jesus is mission-driven, and Jesus has power over evil. And as we continue this study on who is Jesus, my prayer is that we would grow Um, in a closer relationship with him, a deeper knowledge of him, and being ready to obey him and join him in his mission in the world. Because through Jesus and our obedience, people can experience freedom, power, deliverance from everything that enslaves them. And I do want to say that if you feel like you are attacked by evil, if you feel like you're terrorized by evil spirits, which I've felt this before. I've, like, I've felt evil attacks like really strongly at different times in my life. I don't, know, I don't feel like we always talk about it enough, but there have been times when I've like really felt the presence of evil around and near me. If you feel like that's going on in your life or someone else's life that you know, I want to encourage you to, to come for prayer. Um, I'd be glad to pray with you during our song or after the service, or some of the other leaders would be glad to pray with, pray with you, because evil is 
a, really, a real thing. There are evil spirits. There are demons. And I believe that prayer, coupled with the word of God, is powerful to bring deliverance and to bring freedom. I just want to make myself available. That If that's you, if you feel like you're attacked, oppressed, terrorized, whatever the words you might use, be glad to pray with you. And like I said, there's others who I think would be glad to pray with you as well along those lines to experience freedom and deliverance. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then um, we'll stand and sing a song, and then we'll wrap up. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you um, are such a loving Savior, that you came not just for Jewish people, but you came for us as well. You came for the world. And we thank you that there is hope, there is freedom, there is love, there is joy, in you and in a relationship with you. And we thank you that you have power over evil. God, there's so much evil and sin in our world that comes at us in so many different directions. Help us to walk by faith and rest in you, knowing that you have power over all of that, that you are in control and good. And I pray that you would bring your freedom and deliverance to anyone who feels those evil attacks and feels the presence of evil in their life. Please bring them light and life, freedom and hope. And please um, let us um, experience you still as we worship and sing your praises. It's in your name we pray. Amen.